Merberg. Welcome to the HiHo Podcast, produced in conjunction with the HiHo Newsletter. Subscribe to the newsletter at HiHo.substack.com. That's H-E-I-G-H-H-O dot Substack dot com. In this episode, something special, an interview with San Francisco transit operator Mac Allen. We're going to talk about the ups and downs of driving the bus. Of course, we talk about bus driver well-being and how to promote it, and we even delve a bit into Mac's poetry and his strong feelings about public transit. Speaking of which, a word about who Mac Allen is. Mac believes that high-quality public transportation is a powerful and essential part of the city. In 2021, he became a transit operator for Muni in San Francisco, where he lives with his wife and kids. Mac Allen can be found on the internet at his website, which he says he doesn't really maintain. That's www.macallen.com. That's mc-allen.com. He's also on X and on Mastodon. I'll put links in the show notes and you'll be able to find him. Now, let's get on the bus. And off we go. All right, this is Bob Merberg, and I'm here with Mac Allen. Welcome, Mac. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'm glad you could be here, too. So we're here to talk a little bit about your job. Maybe you could just set us up and tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Sure. I'm a transit operator in San Francisco for San Francisco's Municipal Transit Agency. We call it Muni, and I drive the bus. So we have regular scheduled route service, and I take the bus from one end to the other and pick everybody up, drop them back off, get them where they want to go. Okay, cool. And by the way, I noticed the phrase transit operator showing up a, a lot. Is there anything behind that? And is, is it objectionable to refer to the job as bus driver? No, it's not objectionable. Transit operator is the official title and... Uh, in San Francisco, we don't just use buses. We also have light rail trains, we have streetcars, and we have cable cars. And mm -hmm. it's the same job title for everybody who operates all of those different equipments. So the job title is equipment agnostic. Okay, good to know. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, backing up a little bit to sort of like the fundamentals of your job as an as a transit operator... Mac, can you say a little bit about what your work schedule is like? Yeah, so I have currently a Friday to Tuesday work schedule. I work Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and I do slightly different work each day of the week. I go for about nine hours a day from the time that I arrive at my division bus yard where I take a bus into service until the time that I get relieved out on the route is about eight and a half hours, depending on the day. And that schedule is on the shorter side. We have work assignments that can be as short as eight hours straight and as long as 12 hours with 10 hours working time and two hours off in between what's called a split shift. 
many of the work assignments that are available at Muni are split shift assignments. So mm -hmm. you'll do a piece of work, get relieved, have a period of time off where you're also not being paid. And then we'll take a second half of work as a split. And there are federal regulations that regulate the amount of hours we can drive in revenue service. And that's up to 10 hours in revenue service. So often that's how, how long we're working for is 10 hours in revenue. What does revenue service mean? That means that the bus is running on the route, picking up and dropping off passengers. We also have to take the bus from the bus yards to the terminals of the route on either side. And that's not in revenue considered out of service. So, mm -hmm. Okay. So I actually wanted to ask you about the split shift. So you have these two hours between shifts. You, you don't get paid. I've reviewed a lot of the research on stressors of transit operation, which is not necessarily what we're going to focus on today. But that was something that came up a lot was split shifts. Can you speak to that a little bit? You know, for me, being not as not as a joyful employee as as you are, <laughs> that two hours without getting paid, I'd be I'd be grousing about that. It it does bother a lot of operators, and it I prefer to work straight throughs rather uh -huh. than split shifts. And there are the reason that we don't have them is that transit service is kind of peaky. There's a morning service peak and an sure. afternoon service peak and you want to have the maximum number of vehicles in service at those times and that trough in the middle is part of the reason that splits exist um, but we're also a 24 7 365 operation and you will have the earliest operators starting their work day at four in the morning or sometimes even earlier and they might be finishing at noon and then you will have somebody take over that bus for just a period of a couple of hours before then another person will take that bus out for 10 more hours and the bus can be out 18 hours to 19 hours. That's just the most efficient way to use the equipment and that, but it means that you're working time where you're responsible for being ready to work and then having this sort of gap in the middle, you can't use that gap productively for yourself, especially sure. if you're commuting as well. You're never going to be able to go home, for example, or have an appointment. You might be able to eat lunch and have a break in that sense. And some people do value split shifts for that reason. But it is, it feels as if it takes more of your time and it, it therefore is grading for a lot of people. And, sure. and certainly I prefer straight throughs as well for the reason that I get more of my time to myself when I'm not working splits. Yeah. Are you working straight through these days or do you have a split shift? I have only two out of my five working days right now are straight throughs. My Fridays and Saturdays are straight throughs. They're eight hour days on a route. I really love the 23 Monterey and I'm very happy for that. Then the other three days, I have splits of varying lengths with varying times off, and I finish. So some days I finish at 2.30 in the afternoon, some days I finish at 4, and some days I finish at more like 4.30, 4.45. And that's all finishing in time for me to get home for dinner, which is a big priority of mine, to be at home for dinner with my family. Mm -hmm. Work assignments at Muni are extremely complicated. There's a lot of factors that go into it. And I think actually that that is one of the things that a lot of people who find certain parts of the job of transit operator appealing 
really bounce off of is that we have very little control over our schedules and time. I think that's one of the major drawbacks of um, profession. Um, our schedules are set for us most of the time with not a lot of control or not a lot of options available to us. And there's very little flexibility in that. We can't change that at will, mm -hmm. really, ever. So there are certain times of year where the entire agency makes new work assignments available to all operators. And then you are competing in seniority order with all of the other operators for the shifts that you are interested in. But outside of that, you don't have control over your time. And for your time off as well, that's a once annual opportunity to bid for time off for vacations. And there are only so many slots for each day and each week available for vacation. So especially operators who are newer to the job won't be able to get any of the time off that they desire in terms of vacation time. So that's a major drawback. We have very little control over our time. And although as transit operators, we are often late in service, meaning our bus is arriving late to the stops and we're behind schedule, we're not permitted to be late to work at all. Two or three minutes is unacceptable at Muni and you can be disciplined for five minutes late mm -hmm. um, arriving to work. So there's mm -hmm. quite a lot of schedule stressors involved in being a transit operator. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that comes up in the research. The type of stress that really gets to people usually has to do with three things or so, some interaction of lack of control demands, excessive yeah. demands really, right? Because everyone has demands on the job and social support or lack yeah. lack thereof. But that control and that control over over schedule is is a big thing so yeah i agree and it is a very stressful job and and actually as i've had more time at the job it's become more evident to me that there are more that it is more stressful than i had even in my first year fully under understood in my second year as an operator i realized actually more stressful than i had at first encountered it's a safety sensitive occupation safety is the overriding concern and we are in control of, you know, a couple dozen tons of bus and possibly carrying a couple dozen tons of passengers. And you are therefore always in a heightened state of awareness, the requirement for you to be alert and concentrating for many hours at a stretch, while having to skillfully use a very specialized and large piece of equipment in an unpredictable environment where at any moment, you might have to initiate an emergency stop with no warning. You'll have about, if you're lucky, a second to make the decision about whether you're going to have to do that or not. And initiating that stop could very well result in a dozen or more people on your bus being injured. That's a very stressful workload that we carry constantly. And at the same time, we have to be aware of everything that's happening outside the bus and everything that's happening inside the bus in terms of whether there's an issue involving the passengers. Uh, and then we're making plans to stop the bus at the bus stops, let people off, identify which bus stops have people waiting at them. And all of that requires really an enormous amount of attention and focus, and it's fatiguing. And so at the end of the day, you are physically tired it's also a physically demanding job. The, literally, the, the work of turning the wheel and of using the brake pedal 
are fatiguing. Not, nevertheless, you're also sitting and sitting for very long stretches at a time can be uncomfortable and can cause difficult situations with your body. People have back injuries, people have hip problems. And uh, it's also sedentary in that regard in that you're not getting calisthenic exercise. So, you know, there's a lot happening in that seat that I think is invisible to people who maybe think of themselves as good drivers who don't have difficulty navigating their motor vehicle through the environment and imagine it's sort of equivalent for a bus driver. It's really not equivalent. It's a very, it's much more, much more demanding. And I find it extremely fatiguing, especially if we're working hard. Mm -hmm. Those are such important points. I am doing an article that actually will be published by the time this interview comes out. That's going to talk a little bit about those. I'm going to nerd out because I there are some other nerds who pay attention to hi-ho. One of the other concepts in job stress is called threat vigilance, which is really what you described. It's that state of constant vigilance for threats, whether it's just the safety of the passengers or someone making an illegal left turn in front of you, all the things you know so much better than me. All the time, me. by the way, that is constantly happening. Yeah. Yeah. There's also threat of violence from passengers. Mm -hmm. My sense is that's increased in the last few years. Yeah, unfortunately, I've, I've experienced that threat as well. And I know many other operators who have been assaulted. And that is also a part of the reality of being a transit operator. And you mentioned social support. I think that's another important sort of, and these two things tie together really, is that we're alone in the bus in terms of we don't have colleagues with us almost ever and that means that we're also not generally having a social interaction with our colleagues. Those opportunities are pretty far and few between relative to a lot of other workplaces because we do most of our work alone. And that's, that's kind that, that restricts us from having an outlet for, mm -hmm. for, for some of those stresses where, you know, you can feel as if you're sharing those things with other people and it makes it a little bit easier but if you feel very alone it makes it more difficult having said that there is a great social life amongst operators and there's a great esprit de corps and since we all go through the same shared experience there's a common language to it we're also passing each other all of the time in our buses our buses are going past each mm -hmm. other and that provides a great opportunity to just wave and say hello there's a particular bond between people who trained together so we graduate in training classes. They happen on a regular cadence. But your classmates in your training class are your classmates forever. And whenever you see them, it's more special than seeing any other operator. And it's almost sacrilegious not to, not to wave. You will sometimes see bus operators stop passing each other side to side in the middle of the street to open their windows and just have sure. a quick 10-second chat. And that's actually a special thing, I think, some people might be annoyed by it, but I think it's actually great. So, and, and then we ride the buses. We off, usually, if you work a split shift, you will be moving from one terminal to another on, on the bus. And that will be an opportunity to talk with the operator of that bus. Um, and that's also a great opportunity to sort of share some time. And it's, it's a time as the operator where you get to feel a little bit of support and you can let a little bit of your consciousness 
of the passengers who could potentially be a problem for you be less, it, that's, that comes less to your mind when you have uh, other operators on board with you or fare inspectors as well. We also have transit ambassadors and that's just, it's a sense of maybe having backup because otherwise you can call for help, but it's never going to come instantaneously. It's never going to come, you know, in time to prevent an assault that's imminent, I think. So I went on a little bit on that. So that's great. I mean, you, you, you hit on some of those key things, autonomy or control of your schedule, workload and the demands of the job, social support and threat vigilance. Those are all so important. And your firsthand account of them is, is valuable. You know, Mac, what I'd also like to talk about, because I've, I've seen, you know, some of your content. I, I, I watched a video that, that you did earlier of uh, Mooney Diaries. Yes. Yeah. And my sense is that you actually, you love your job and you've, you've told me that. I absolutely um, and, do. I love it. And I I think I would probably do it for no money, although I don't want Muni to know that. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about, about what you love about it. Well, first of all, I have always had deep love and admiration for the transit system in San Francisco. I think it's one of the real magnificent transit systems of, of the United States it's almost impossible to be more than about three blocks from a muni stop. I think the furthest you can physically be in San Francisco from a muni stop is a quarter mile, mm -hmm. which is a remarkable system. Mm -hmm. It's also an excellently constructed system in terms of your ability to get from point to point. It should be possible to get from basically any place in San Francisco to any other place in San Francisco by changing buses twice, mm -hmm. um, which is... For most transit systems, that would be a dream. We also have high frequencies, high ridership relative to the uh, uh, overall number of people who are mobile in the city. A huge portion of those people use Muni to get around. And our city couldn't function without a functional transit system because our streets simply do not have capacity for vehicle traffic. If Muni were not carrying that load, there would be gridlock in San Francisco. So I've always had enormous admiration for the system. And I also love the city, San Francisco, just mm -hmm. very deeply. It's a huge part of who I am as a person, that I'm a San Franciscan. I feel enormous affinity to every aspect of the city. And being a transit operator, by necessity, puts you out in the city all of the time. And mm -hmm. San Francisco is a remarkable city in that it has incredibly beautiful landscape, fascinating neighborhoods. It also has enormous challenges. You will see a lot of people who are going through extreme difficulties in their lives and people who are doing extraordinarily well. And the transit system cuts right across. It does not respect those boundaries. It pierces them in a way that is really wonderful. And so you will have on your bus potentially somebody who is, you know, several digits of millionaire and somebody with literally nothing to their name sitting across from one another going about their lives. And that's, I think, a rare thing in the world to have that kind of permeability. And of course, we wish that those resources could be shared more equitably, but it is an opportunity to be in the sort of the rhythm of the city all of the time. And that, I think, is extremely rewarding for me 
And it's also enormously rewarding for me to know that I'm facilitating people to get where they want to go in a way that is really ideal. You know, I think there's walking, there's cycling, and there's public transit. Those are the ideal ways to move through the city. And, you know, one of those modes requires somebody to facilitate it, and that's the transit operator. So I take a lot of pleasure in doing that. I also meet a lot of wonderful people and have a lot of fantastic engagements with people. I think it's a beautiful system and I'm really proud to be part of it. So That's I love it. I do. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. I would love to choose my days off, you know. So that's, I'm cu- that's coming. I, I'm curious, you know, because I'm interested in work and people who love their jobs and people who hate their jobs. In your past work experience, what I want to know, Mac, are you someone who's just going to love your job no matter what you're doing? No. Yeah. So that's a great, without going too too deep into it, I studied architecture in college. I didn't finish my college degree, but I studied architecture. And as a college student, I had opportunity to intern at an architecture firm. And then that internship turned into a draftsman job. And I was miserable. And it was it was a terrible experience where I re- it was I'm grateful that I had this internship that led to this job because it told me that I did not want to be an architect and that I was heading down a wrong path. I ended up then working in campaign politics through fundraising into campaigns and candidate campaigns. And that was in many ways worse and extremely dispiriting and disturbing. And then I went and worked in retail as a bookseller and bookstores, which I enjoyed a lot more, but I certainly didn't want to do for a career. It was Mm -hmm. a bridge to something. And then my kids were born. And when my kids were born, it made sense for me to go full-time into childcare as a parent. And to be the stay-at-home dad, it was cheaper than working and paying for childcare. And that was enormously rewarding, incredibly difficult. And I'd never give that up. And I won't. <laughs> but I think being a transit operator is definitely the first work for pay career that I have felt at home in and that mm-hmm. I've wanted to continue. And my goal is to make it to the full retirement age with my vesting pension and healthcare benefit, which is yeah. 20 years in service. Yep. That's my goal. Yep. Make it to 20 yep. years. That's great. That's amazing. You know, other people I've spoken to and in- interviewed, I usually ask, are you thinking about leaving your job? And the answer's always been yes. Oh, yeah. Not, not necessarily I'm thinking about leaving it, but sometimes I think about leaving it. Yeah. You know? um, well, we were recently joking about what we would do in our lives if we won the lottery and had no need for money ever again. And I'm not sure I would quit in that mm-hmm. circumstance. Yeah. I would try to figure out how I could get more vacation time. <laughs> but I don't think I would quit in that circumstance yeah. even because I really, I took the job. I really, I wanted to become a transit operator because I came to the understanding that one of the major barriers to increasing and improving transit service in the country is the unavailability of people to do the work. There's a huge shortage of transit operators in San Francisco and nationwide. And, you know, that I saw that as my chance to be mm-hmm. part of it and to and to be part of the the improvement of the system. And that's yeah. you know, something I'm not I won't I won't easily give up. 
Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, you know, if you don't mind my saying so, I mean, Muni is, is very fortunate to have you. You're, uh, you're an asset for them. I hope so. I mean, they, they do pay me. And you actually, um, I'll, I'll just bring up, because uh, it makes sense, that you mm-hmm. asked about, you know, are we paid fairly? Are we compensated fairly? And I would say that for transit operators, Muni pays very well. I think we're amongst the top, the top pay in the nation. We also have one of the more difficult transit environments to work in in the, in the nation but you're also you're also in one of the most expensive cities in the nation. that's absolutely right yeah the cost of living here is insane and many operators are barely making it in terms of covering their bills having said that we have excellent benefits we have excellent health care benefit and we have a pension a, a really pretty excellent pension and the way i look at my compensation at best, half of my compensation is my wages, my hourly wages. The other half is that pension and healthcare benefit. And those will really only bear their full value if I work till vesting those fully and then live a long time after I retire. <laughs> and that's the calculus that I'm making. I'm making the bet that I'll live at least 25 years after I retire for that pension benefit and that healthcare benefit to really bear its full value. I think people who work at the job not long enough to vest that pension aren't being compensated fairly at the end of that, really. Just to nerd out a little bit for nerdy hi-ho people, you know, one of the other models of stress is, is efforts rewards. Do the, do the efforts, well, do they match? Do they, do they balance? And, and what you're describing lends insight into that and that for you, it sounds like they do. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think I'd also like to say that something that is probably invisible to most people is that there is a lot of opportunity to work more as a transit operator. I work five days a week. I have the opportunity to work overtime on my days off. It's called RDO, regular day off work. And there are operators who are we call seven day rollers, which means they work seven days a week in order to get that extra extra money and extra pay because those the sixth and seventh day days are paid at an overtime rate. And so there is a fairly wide variability in terms of the minimum compensation that you can earn and the most you can possibly earn. But you will work every additional hour for that. Sure. People also will choose to work overnight where there's a differential, an increase in pay over to work overnight in order to maximize their income in that way. And we call those vampire hours working overnight, the overnight shifts, which are very different than the daytime shifts in many ways. That is another opportunity. And so some operators are earning a lot more than others, which is something that I think people wouldn't necessarily expect. But that's yeah. the case. Yeah. And that's... I'm, my goal is to never work a day of RDO, to never work overtime in that way. Um, mm-hmm. I want to work five days and I want to be off too. That's, that sounds like very grounded thinking. Uh, so San Francisco MTA, SFMTA is, is sort of like a parent organization of Muni, I take That's it. Right. Yep. As, as you know, I've looked at some of their information that they post on their website publicly that includes performance metrics, that includes some information from their employee survey. And for whatever reason, I think a lot of employers that are in this situation it hasn't been updated in a couple of years. 
But for the data that I look at, um, I wanted to run by a couple of data points by you sure. and, and get sure. your impression. So one is employees were asked whether they agree with the statement, our workplace culture supports my health and well-being. And in that survey, 34% of transit workers in SFMTA responded that they somewhat agree or strongly agree, 34%. What do you think of that? Yeah, I'm not sure I agree that the workplace culture supports that. I think it's a grinding job. And uh, yeah, you know, I can only speak for myself that I love my work, but I do find it very challenging and, and, and it can be very stressful. And I don't necessarily feel that SFMTA, the the parent agency that Muni is a part of, or the Muni management necessarily treat the operators as if our job is as stressful as it is. And that can, that can lead to resentment and it can lead to a sense of not being appropriately valued or trusted. I think that's another, another problem in terms of how the Muni operator feels treated by the employee is that it feels as if they actually don't treat us with a lot of trust, though they are giving us enormous responsibilities. And one example of that, that that always comes to my mind, it comes to my mind almost every day, is that when I go into the division office to get my documents that I need to take with me into the bus, the dispatcher is separated from me by a plexiglass pane of glass with a little notch in the bottom to hand documents through, which feels in some ways as if they are being secured from me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in a way that does not engender the sense of like a collegiate shared experience, but a very hierarchical, imbalanced power situation kind of a feeling. And I would say that that sort of permeates many parts of the uh, culture of how management and the supervisors interact with the uh, line workers out, out on the out on the route as well. So I definitely understand why such a large proportion of operators don't feel highly supported. I do also feel like it could be a lot worse. <laughs> it could be worse, like did you say? At least trying. And there are certain allowances that I think are made that 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 help mitigate some of that. Which I won't detail. Certain allowances that are made that... Meaning, without saying too much, sometimes standard operating procedures or policies will be relaxed in order to accommodate the needs of people who might need time off, though they're not sick, using sick time, for example, or something like that. And But that none of it is guaranteed to you. None of it is official, and it is therefore risky to seek, you know, so I don't know, that's probably too deep in the weeds for that. This Okay, no, that, that, that's <laughs> good. I mean, we, we could do a whole other hour on that, but we, unfortunately, we can't do a whole other hour on that. You know, my background was employee health and wellness and well-being. And I know a lot of people who, when they hear supports my health and well-being, they think about like fitness programs and snacks and mindfulness apps and like that's what's going yeah. to 
make a difference. There's some controversy about that. Uh, Personally, I don't think it's a binary choice, but other people advocate for, you know, valuing employees and modifying demands and doing what you can to reduce social isolation and especially increase autonomy and control. What what are your thoughts about what I would call health promotion programs like fitness and healthy eating? I mean, you, it is a sedentary job. So, you know, one of the things that is, I think, very important for operators is to have a chance to get up and stretch at the ends of the lines at the terminals, having adequate schedule time built in so that when we get to the terminal, we have a layover period that's adequate for us to get up out of the seat, stretch, use the restroom, drink or eat. Sometimes there's not going to be time for that. But And then the opportunity to use, if necessary, if that scheduled time runs out, to still take that time and then be given the opportunity to get back on schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's something that is not always available to operators that I think would make a big difference. And so what I'm referring to is let's say you're on a very busy afternoon run and you arrive to the terminal so late that you actually arrive at the terminal after the time that you're meant to depart. You might need the restroom and you're going to use the restroom no matter what, because your next opportunity to use the restroom is an hour and 15 minutes to an hour and 20 minutes away. And then in that case, you're going to actually have to call on the radio and say, I need to take a break outside of my scheduled layover. And then they'll say, okay, you do that. They'll always grant you that. And then you'll come back in whenever you're ready to get back into service, you'll call back. And there are two possible outcomes for this. You can be deadheaded down the route to be put back on schedule, or you can be put back in service where you are in order to meet service needs because they need the service there. And it often feels as if that opportunity to be put back on schedule is a a very low priority for the controllers who are making that decision. But for operators, it's a very high priority (laughs) to have Mm -hmm. that opportunity. Because once you've fallen behind schedule in that way, you will never really catch back up. And then your opportunity for your next layover is forfeit. And that, that I think would be one of the situations where it feels as if our wellness is not well supported necessarily. But we do have things like gyms available at some of our facilities where you can work out. Some of them some of them are nice and some of them aren't. There are those sort of online type programs where they encourage good diet and things like that that you can engage in. I've never used those facilities myself. And you know, I think most of the real risks to our health are physically our bodies, supporting our shoulders and preventing rotator cuff injuries, leg and muscle injuries, back injuries. Those things are exacerbated in part by poor form, but also just very long, difficult working days. And I think if there were, you know, the difficult routes that are more grinding on the body, and there is a variety, some are more easy, some are less easy, some are turning a lot, some aren't, could have more time built into the schedule to accommodate those needs. Um, Interesting. That is not how SFMTA organizes its its service. Its service is organized around the transit needs of the users and not the employees. And that's probably not the wrong way to organize their service. 
people need fast, frequent, reliable transit service. And that is the overarching organizational principle of how the service plans are made. And mm -hmm. it's the operator usually in the seat who is going to have to make the concession to the service needs. So. It sounds like the grinding routes have to do or, or routes have to do with uh, turns. I'm sure there are other things too. What do you feel about the ergonomics of, I don't know if you call it a cabin, but basically the, the driver's seat. Yep. We call it the seat. So operators come in every shape and size. There are operators who are uh, almost seven feet and there are operators who are like three foot 12. The, the seat itself is adjustable in many different ways. The wheel is adjustable. The mirrors have to be adjusted. We have the most comfortable seat in the bus by far, but I would, we, I'd rate it as fine. It depends on the equipment. We mostly use really high quality new flyer equipment that has pretty good ergonomics. Some other bus manufacturers are known to have worse economic ergonomics for the operator. There's we are demoing some other buses that are battery electric buses. I've had the opportunity to be qualified on them. And I've found that really only the new flyers meet my needs as a taller person in terms of the adjustability of the seat. But only the new, the flyer? new flyer, it's a, it's a manufacturer. New flyer oh, okay. is, a, is a bus okay. manufacturer. The other buses, I found things that were uncomfortable. For example, there was a bus that we were demoing that every time I went, to put my foot on the brake off of the accelerator onto the service brake, my knee hit the steering column. Mm -hmm. And I put my foot on the brake a thousand times, maybe, mm -hmm. in a shift. And if I hit my knee against the steering column, literally every time I did that, I literally had a, a bruise on my knee mm -hmm. where that was. And I, I, I found that bus unacceptably uncomfortable to drive. So yeah. it depends on the equipment and for the most part, Muni has a pretty good equipment. So, okay, okay, good to know. We're getting on with with time here. I know you're busy uh, with work and family. I could just go on forever, but I won't. Do you want to talk about your poetry at all? Sure. <laughs> so I'm a poet, and I've done a series of poems about Muni and Muni roots. I actually started this project before I became a Muni operator, and I've been writing poems from the perspective of a Muni operator since I became one. And I think po poetry is everywhere in the world. Anything can be an opportunity to be poetry. And I think there is a lot of opportunity to tie in the, the poetry of the city and the experience of being on a bus or, or operating a bus together and make some something that is that is hopefully engaging and, and appreciated. And so I've had the opportunity to do that. And I have, on occasion, written a poem about a route that I'm operating and then handed that poem out to my passengers, which I did recently on a route that I just, I just stopped serving the 35 route. I gave everyone for a week who wrote that route a copy of a poem I've written about that route. And I ended up handing out 60... 60 poems. I only drove it about two hours a day. So I had about 60 regular passengers who I would see re on the regular and they all got a copy of the poem. And I thought that was, that's a fun way to share, share an experience with passengers as well.
Is that poem on your website by any chance? It Or is is. That one is the B of Moffat Street. And I'll send you a link uh, Okay. to Okay. that Great. poem. And I'll, I will uh, link to it <laughs> in the, in the show notes. it's about hitting a B with the bus. Oh, wow. Oh, <laughs> that kind of B. Huh. yeah. The, yeah. I look forward to reading Funny that. B. We talked about wellness and well-being. What would be the number one thing your employer could do to support your well-being? Well, I'm going to answer it in a more general. Okay. The Muni needs to compensate its operators such that we are at least level with inflation in our next in our next MOU in our next contract negotiation. Operators should not take a pay cut, and so we have to keep pace with inflation. I think. The other opportunity would be a more generous vacation policy and a better opportunity for operators to take longer vacations because I think that that would it would be valuable to me and I think to many other operators the opportunity to have more real vacation would be would be really well received and you know one other thing that you I, I don't know if this goes to wellness or supporting the operator necessarily but you asked in your questions that we that you were prepared. about whether or not the operators can bring suggestions to our management and whether that's well received. And we can technically bring suggestions and ideas to improve service or make something better to our management. But it's sort of like putting a suggestion into a black box. It's There's never going to be direct feedback. Like I could not even tell you the job title of the person who would receive that and it will take many operators requesting the same thing for a long period of time to have that directly result in a change and most of the service changes that muni undertakes and sfmta implements are political considerations they are considered with the elected politicians and the constituents that lobby those politicians far far and away more influential than anything that the workforce has to say about how things are done and that that's unfortunate that very basic things like having bus stops that are long enough for us to smoothly and reliably make a good quality bus stop which is a high skill thing the length of the bus stop dictates how difficult that is and Our bus stops are too short, many of them, and it would be entirely within the realm of possibility for Muni to take the parking spot at the end of that bus stop away to lengthen it, to make it better for us to serve our passengers. And this is something that Muni is not going to do at the suggestion of operators. This is something that we, you know, in terms of feeling that we have that uh, agency in control and can say, This bus stop is too short. It needs to be longer. You need to take more curb space for us. It does not feel as if making that suggestion will yield the desired result. Um, Yeah. but it should. Um. We should have really good bus stops. Oh my God, it would be so important. Uh, my my dream for San Francisco is that every bus stop is uh, a, a real concrete bus stop that comes to the lane of traffic rather than having to pull in the bus to the, to the stop, have the stop come to the bus, Make real bus stop furniture, a real shelter, a real lamp, a real sign, 
a bench, a trash can, make those like the basics of what a bus stop should be. We could have at literally every bus stop in San Francisco. We have the resources, but we don't have the political will to do it. And mm -hmm. uh, I would love to have that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a, a, a brilliant point. There are models of doing that in Europe. Copenhagen especially was known for really overhauling its bus routes and its ergonomics and all sorts of things about how the job and the work gets done. Yeah. It had a measurable impact on the transit operators, Stockholm as well. And some people said, like, why, why don't we do that? We don't cater necessarily to count. the automobile instead of the bus. Right. Yeah. We should wrap up, Mac. We just scratched the surface, but is there anything else that you feel is like you really want to be sure to to get out there? I think anytime I have the opportunity to engage with an audience uh, of any kind, what I really want to tell people is that one of the most important things you can do in the city is ride transit use the system using the system makes it better and it's important to the world that more people get around by public transit fewer people get around by automobile private automobile and uh, that's really the message that i always want people to have is i want everybody to be riding the bus whenever they can as their first as their first option um or walking or bicycling and that that's important for the future of our world that uh, we are in a world of changing climate where weather events are becoming more extreme. The oceans are literally rising. And one of the important things we can do in our lives is change how we get around to be mm -hmm. more in public with others. There's an enormous opportunity for that. And I want people to do it. So I, I'm always trying to make that PSA, ride, transit, and then thank your operator. You know, we are there in the seat. Sometimes we feel invisible. But if you just say, thank you, operator, you can say, thank you, driver, you can just say, thank you. It does, it does feel good to feel yeah. appreciated. And it is unfortunately rare to, to get that small courtesy. So, you know, thank your operator. They're moving the bus, but get around. That's, you know, I think getting around by bus is something I want everyone to do. It's okay, great. great. <laughs> Mac, if people want to learn more about you or hear from you, do you want to, is there a yeah, website I'm, or I'm social? On, sure? I'm on Twitter and Mastodon. On Twitter, I'm at that underscore MC, T-H-A-T underscore MC. And on Mastodon, I'm also at that underscore MC at SFBA.social. I'm not really deeply involved in that. I also have a website I don't update. <laughs> it's mc-allen.com. Anyone is welcome to follow me. And I, you know, I, I, I love to talk about transit. I love to engage people. My expertise is San Francisco. I don't know a lot about the larger world of transit outside of San Francisco, but I do know a lot of people who, you know, sort of from all over the world share an interest in what I have to say about things and so i share stuff yeah. you can find me okay cool uh, well we thank didn't you. mention and it but i'm also famous so you're famous uh, briefly, uh, yeah i i briefly became famous but we'll leave that story for another time it's no longer the case okay well listen thank you so much thank you for taking the time you know i i, I know you're busy thank you for your candor 
and and for your wisdom. I really, really appreciate it, Mac. And it's, it's really been a pleasure getting to know you. Well, thank you as well. And I wanted to say, I really admire the project of Hi-Ho. I think it's really an important thing to look at all of the different experiences of work. It's a huge part of human experience, what we do in our lives and how we work. I believe that every kind of vocation has important stories that need to be told. And the people who do work of every kind need to have that experience be shared and we should know more about it. So I really admire your project in that way. Oh, so thank beautiful. you for including me in it. You're welcome. Thanks. Okay, great. Thank you, Mac Allen. <laughs>